Welcome to uh, part two of our series, Are We There Yet?, where we're talking about the reality that um, there's a lot of similarities between life and going on a road trip, going somewhere, trying to get to your destination, because ultimately, right, that, that we all want to get to our destination, we all want to get there. Um, but what we've been talking about in this series, which you started last week, is the fact that um, there are sometimes things that get in the way uh, along the way. Um, that's just kind of what life does to us sometimes. Um, sometimes it's, you know, construction. Sometimes it's a cow. Hard to say. Um, but uh, the biggest thing that I said last week um, that kind of gets in our way that I, at least I think is one of the most inconvenient and annoying things that gets in the way are detours. And the reason that I think detours really get in the way is because at no other point in like transportation and getting somewhere on a road trip do you actually have to go opposite the direction that you need to go, right? Construction may slow you down. Things on the road may slow you down. You may have to make stops. But ultimately, detours can send you in the completely wrong direction. Here's a picture of a detour that I took literally yesterday. Um, in fact, this week, I, I, and I told you guys this last week, I don't remember the last time I had a detour driving. And I don't know if just we do construction better or something like that. But this week, I had two. One when I was back um, at my hometown in Fort Dodge, and uh, this was yesterday. And I took a picture of it because I wanted to use it as an illustration. Because I don't know if you know this, but apparently the whole city shuts down when there's an Iowa game, and they divert traffic in crazy directions. So here I am in, on, trying to get on the Corville Strip. I'm trying to turn right. Um, actually, the entire family, we were trying to turn right because we were going to go wash the car because the car's really dirty. We live on gravel. But apparently you can't. And so we thought, okay, well, we'll just hang a left and we'll go literally the opposite direction, but fine. And, and then the next turn we couldn't make, the next turn we couldn't make, and all the way down to Lowe's, if you know where that is. If you're watching online, so sorry. But it's a, it's a drive. It's very inconvenient. That's all you need to know. <laughs> and we get to Lowe's, and at that point, we had gone so far away from our destination and I'm like, how many other detours are there going to be that we literally just gave up going to the car wash and drove somewhere else um, because of a detour? And that's kind of how life happens sometimes, right? You have detours in your life when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your career, whatever it may, relationships that you have. And, and you go, and it's frustrating, and, and you get tired of it. And so you sit there, and at some point in there, you get so frustrated, frustrated you say something to the effect of, are, well, you say some other things that I can't share in church, but you may get to the point where you say, are we there yet? Am I there yet? Because I want to get to my destination. And so in this series, the whole hope is that I'm gonna give you four rules once a week for, well, two more weeks. And um, in those four rules, uh, hopefully, if you follow them, if you engage with them, they're going to help each and every one of you navigate the detours of life better so you're not sitting there thinking to yourself, are we there yet? Okay, now last week to recap, rule number one, you remember, anybody remember what rule number one was about? Oh, well, I guess we put it on the screen. Never mind, it's right here. Um, build margin into your journey. We talked about margin, and we talked about how margin is the space, the gap that you leave between your load, essentially what you're carrying, and your limit, the point at which you have to drop it all because it's too much. Right, And if you're trying to carry something to a destination, for example, and that's your load, and you don't leave yourself much margin between what you're carrying and your limit, if you get hit a detour, you may run out of energy, and you may have to set it down, you may have to drop it all because the detour, and you didn't leave yourself margin, it was just too big of a load to carry. And it's frustrating when we do that, and it's hard when that happens. 
And sometimes it breaks us for that matter. And so instead, we have to learn to build margin into our lives. And I'll be just uh, straightforward and honest with you. This week, I thought this was really funny. Not only did I have multiple detours this week, but then my week was so incredibly busy. It's probably one of the busiest weeks I've had in a very, very long time. And I kept thinking to myself, my gosh, I just got done preaching on margin and I don't even have any. And I, I know. And I, I, and, I, and I thought to myself, you know, I had built in margin, but the detours were so big. The reality was I hadn't built enough margin into my week. And so this message today is brought to you by three and a half hours of sleep. So we'll see how it goes. Obviously, we can't plug things in, right? So um, anyways, um, so yeah, I, essentially I learned sometimes, Taylor, margin is good, but sometimes even more margin is better, okay? Um, and so if you missed week one, really encourage you to go back and watch it. You can watch on our website or online on, or on our app, okay? Today, uh, I wanna start for rule number two, um, talking about um, one of the favorite times in your entire life, which was your childhood, of course. We're all, I think we're all on the same page on that one. Okay, I realize that not all of our childhoods were equally the same, right? Some of us had more challenges than others. Some of us had a different hand that was dealt than others. But when it came to it, there's choices, right? When it came to it, you had to decide what you were gonna do and how you were gonna go about your life, even at a young age. And along with that, your parents or your guardians or your aunts or your uncles or your foster parents, whoever that you know, parental figure kind of was for you, they had to watch you go along that journey of life trying to figure out what you were gonna do and what you were gonna do next. And I'm just telling you, if you didn't already know this, they were very paranoid while you went through your childhood. Very paranoid. They were paranoid a lot. Let's just put it that way. They were paranoid a lot. And they were paranoid about a lot of things, including your grades, right? They were paranoid about, you know, uh, your future career and job. And you're like, I'm in fourth grade. And they're like, well, we got to get you ready for the big world, you know, and, and we got to get you a good job. Um, they were concerned about how much time you were spending on TV, uh, how you were spending your Friday nights or Saturday nights. And a really big one, and parents, you know this, if you just need to let like an audible gasp out when I say this, that's okay. A really big one for, you know, childhood development that really brings paranoia to a whole new level is when you got your driver's license, right? There was laughs, not gas. Okay, we'll go with that. Yeah, when you got your driver's license, everything changed because you had a whole new level of freedom or power. I'm not sure which one, but you know, you had a whole new level of control of your own life to go and do what you will when you wanted. And, and even if you weren't supposed to, you could still probably get away with it. But nowadays you have like, friend finder and Snapchat. Now everybody gets to know where you are. But anyways, so, so you got that whole level, next level of freedom. But then there was a bigger level. Like there was a lot in the paranoid portion. There, there was a lot going on. But then one more level beyond the driver's license, okay, for your parents was who's gonna be in the car with you? Because driving for a teenager is hard enough as it is. But when you add your friends to it, or your so-called friends to it, your parents knew that dr driving was dangerous enough as it was, but now it was even more dangerous. And so they'd ask you, right? You remember this, they'd ask you, hey, who's gonna be there? Who's gonna go with you? Who's gonna be in the car? Is it your friends or your girlfriend or your boyfriend? 
right? They wanted to know what was happening, okay? And then when they found out, they would maybe even say something to the effect of, well, you can't go. Or you can't go because you can't hang out with that person. Or I really don't like the decisions that the other person makes. Or they can't come over, you know? Some of you had, had parents like that, okay? But the bad news was, you figured out who your parents liked, and so you told them that you were hanging out with them, which you certainly weren't. You were hanging out with the kids that they didn't like, you know, because you just had to, you know, be a rebel or whatever, okay? Yeah, you know how that went, right? And the parents, parents were paranoid the entire way because they knew that if you had negative friends in your life, that could lead to trouble down the road. And now some of you are parents too. And so now you're paranoid er about your friend, about your friend, your kids' friends. And you're paranoid er about the decisions that they're gonna make because you know the decisions you made because ultimately you knew that the people who were around you in middle school and high school and college and as a young adult would have a significant influence, did have a significant influence on your life, that, that you might not have done half the things that you probably shouldn't have done had you had a different friend group, right? But the other friend group wasn't that cool and so you justified it in your head. You know how that all went, right? Because the reality is what makes friendship, what makes friendship marvelous also makes it kind of hazardous. Because the truth is, we are um, like acceptance magnets. Like we want, we desire strongly to be accepted by others. That's why I think to some extent, we're kind of so polarized in our world today is because simply we wanna find a group that accepts us for what we feel and affirms us for what we feel. And instead of trying to build bridges, we just wanna stick with who accepts us. And so if your negative friend group accepted you, then it didn't matter so much if they were negative or not. It just simply mattered if you were accepted, if they laughed at your jokes, if you shared stories and they bought into the stories, if you could be somewhat vulnerable and that was okay. I mean, let's be honest. Would you rather go on a road trip alone or with a friend or two? Why did you want those friends there? So they could go on the journey with you and you could have fun together. But with that desire for acceptance also because the potential for being hurt, right? Or being taken advantage of or ashamed or wronged by another person. The ability to get off track in your journey simply because of who was in the car with you. You know that one single person or a couple kids could make a simple journey way harder. Honestly, sometimes borderline miserable. And you've been in seasons of life like that where the people around you have seriously defined how that season went for you. And then what makes it worse is when we hit detours and we're already kind of maxed out, we're already kind of miserable, and then the people around us either fade away, lead us down a track we shouldn't be going on, or don't stop us from making decisions that we probably shouldn't. Those aren't really good friends, are they? So then you have come along a guy named Solomon. And Solomon was a king. You may have heard of him if you grew up in church. He was an Old Testament king. Uh, and he was really known for his wisdom and for his, uh, the building projects that he undertook. His dad was King David, who's a very famous uh, figure. But his dad was a warrior. And then he, uh, Solomon, was one of his sons because David had many sons. Um, and uh, Solomon was known for his wisdom. In fact, that's what he prayed to God 
uh, when he became king is he said, I, I just want to, to lead your people well. I want to make wise decisions. And so God blessed him in that way. He still made some unwise decisions, but ultimately he was known for his wisdom. And um, he wrote a lot of this wisdom down. And in fact, there's so much of this wisdom literature and it's really, there's actually characters in the Bible. There's a character called Lady Wisdom. Um, we're actually, I think, I'm gonna try to do a series next year about wisdom. It's, it's just a really fascinating thing. But, but a really simple proverb uh, comes from the book of Proverbs that Solomon wrote down that I think is worth us looking at um, when it comes to this topic of people around us is this one right here in Proverbs chapter 13. It starts like this. Walk with the wise... And become wise, which isn't really rocket science. I mean, you know this. You know that there's something about really wise people. You know, they're just patient. They're kind. They're thoughtful. They just give some really good advice. You know, they kind of push some buttons for you in your heart and in your mind that you didn't really think about before, not in like a mean or vindictive way, but in a, hey, did you maybe consider it this way? And you're like, huh, no, I never did. You know, that, that's kind of, it rubs off on you. That, that if you are around people like that, um, it, it kind of rubs off. It, you can't help but be influenced or challenged by wise people. And so that's why Solomon said, hey, walk with the wise, and you will progressively, if you surround yourself by wise people, you'll just become wise because of their influence. And then he says something a little different. What he says next is this. He says, for a companion of fools, and you think what he's gonna say next is if you make companions, if you walk with people who are fools, then you're gonna become a fool, but he doesn't say that. He switches it up a little bit, which I think is interesting. Companion of fools suffers harm. Because the point Solomon wants to get across to you, and this is a point that you and I know, if you look back at your life, that you can hang out with fools. And it doesn't necessarily mean you'll become one. Okay, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't snap out of it. But you will probably suffer for it. You will probably be hurt by those people in your life. So you can hang out with wise people, probably come wise. But Solomon says, I guarantee you, if you hang out with fools, you'll become a fool. Because here's the thing about fools, and he's not trying to be insulting. He's just trying to say, especially in Jewish literature, essentially what he's trying to get across is, um, when, when you're a fool, you're the type of person that doesn't realize your past behavior will dictate your future performance or your future decisions. Your past behavior is a great predictor of your future decisions and choices. And, and fools in Jewish literature are people who don't get that connection, who think if I keep doing whatever I wanna do, when I wanna do it, with whom I wanna do it with, it's not gonna lead to anything bad. And Solomon says, that's foolish. There will be harm, and there will be harm for those around you. And this, this right here, my friends, this is a difficult cycle to break. I see it all the time um, because of, you know, the, uh, the trust you kind of extend to me as a pastor, and, and I take that seriously. But I see in many people's lives the fact that they, they sometimes think that they're in a wise situation or more, I think, honestly, they know they're in a foolish situation, but it's just a really difficult cycle to break. It's a difficult cycle to say no to those who are causing you harm and seek out someone different. Solomon's son. Solomon's son is a great example. So there's David, Solomon, and the next king after Solomon was a guy named Rehoboam, Solomon's king. So Solomon's the king. He's the wisest person, but his son, 
Well, he didn't get the wise gene. Let's just put it that way, okay? And he went out and made some terrible decisions right from the get-go. He became king of Israel. The people came to him and said, hey, we just felt really like, you know, that the burden that your father, Solomon, had placed on us was really great. And so do you think you could kind of just lift the load a little bit with taxation and the work that we have to do and that kind of thing? We'd really, really appreciate it. And so, and so Rehoboam said, okay, well, I'm gonna think about it, okay? And so Rehoboam thought about it and he went to two different groups of people. The first group of people he went to was his father's elders, the, the wise people in, in Solomon's court, his father's court. And he went to them and he said, hey, what should I do? And they replied, this is what they said. Your father put a heavy yoke, oh, this, sorry, I got ahead of myself. This is what the people said to Rehoboam. You probably put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. So he went to the elders, this first group of people and said, well, what do you think I should do? They replied to him, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. And this is a message that Jesus taught time and time again. I came not to be served, but to serve. Because when y'all are just competing to serve one another, we've talked about this in marriage before, if you're all just in a competition to serve each other better, things just work amazingly well. It's called love. It's crazy. If you do this, Rehoboam, they will love you. But Rehoboam went on. He rejected the advice of the elders and consulted, you just know what's coming now, the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. Come on. This is why your, friend, your, your parents cared who you were hanging out with, okay? And obviously Solomon, Solomon in his wisdom did not quite keep an eye on who Rehoboam was hanging out with. He went to them, and you'll never guess what the young friends said to Rehoboam. My father laid on, uh, sorry, I got ahead of myself again. They said to him, go back out there and tell them they gotta work harder. So so Rehoboam did. So he went out there and said, my father laid, laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips to get you to do what he wanted or when you were in trouble. I will scourge you with scorpions. I don't even know how you do that, but that's not really the point, right? I mean, it just sounds awful, okay? And he went in there. And some of you had bosses like this, right? Some of you had leaders in your life like this. And you're like, this is not motivating. This does not work. <laughs> this makes me feel terrible. I don't want to come to work for a person like this. And they didn't either. And so it split Israel eventually. There was a civil war. People revolted. It was an absolute disaster. Why? Because Rehoboam had surrounded himself by fools. Fools who didn't realize that if you treat people poorly, they tend to treat you poorly back. So, rule number two. One is margin. Two is decide who goes on the trip wisely. Because everybody's on a trip. Every little part of your life you could break into, whether it be job or relationship, whatever. You break it into little trips. And there are people on that journey with you. And you need to choose who goes on that journey with you wisely because it matters if 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 getting these certain individuals into your car is irresponsible if getting certain people into car, into your car makes it a negative environment if people in your car are very impatient and pushy and shovey eventually what's going to happen you're going to get upset you're going to get hurt and so are other people in the car you're in the car together you're trying to get somewhere together eventually it's going to blow up 
So you have to wisely decide who goes in the car with you. Now, I realize some of you are thinking, because you are some of the smartest people I know, especially those of you online, and you're like, if you just plug it in, it works better. I get it. But some of you are thinking to yourself, if I just, Taylor, it it just sounds like what you're preaching here is a a little bit of judgment. Like, I'm going to have to be a a judgment kind of a centric person. I'm going to have to judge other people to decide if they're going to go on the trip with me. And I thought Infused Church was a church for imperfect people. And so how am I supposed to be, like, accepting of everyone and realizing we're all imperfect, but also make wise decisions and go on a trip with, with wise people? Great question. Very smart question. This is a big deal. There is a difference between judgment and using good judgment. There is a difference between being judgmental of others. In other words, I'm superior than you. I'm better than you. I'm looking down from my high place of amazingness down at you, judgmentalness. I don't even know if that's a word. And versus using good judgment. This is all about everybody else. This is all about you judging everybody else. This, using good judgment, is all about you. It's all about you. I'm going to use good judgment. Good judgment means I'm gonna look at my load and my limit and make sure I have margin. It's not about anybody else. It's about my load and my limit. Good judgment is self-control, not other control. I'm gonna have good self-control, me. I'm gonna make wise choices for who goes on this trip. It's about me and my capacity to handle everybody else around me. Because, and this is what we gotta understand, is other people will influence your judgment. So you have a choice. You either go with what everybody else says or you use good judgment yourself. That's why you gotta take seriously who's around you. So I wanna give you a line, just a little sentence that honestly, it's one of those that you better keep like inside your mind and your heart, not really something to be spoken out loud, but some of you are kinda like, you just say it. And so some of you are gonna say it and people may like raise an eyebrow at you, but it's one of those that I think just really works well when you're in a situation and you're trying to debate how do, am I, am I on the line of being judgmental or am I on the, in the path or in the area of just trying to use good judgment? Just trying to be wise about my decisions, okay? Th- these moments when it's hard to tell what to do and your conscience is kind of nudging you one way and, and, and maybe the God's spirit's kind of nudging you, hey, you should probably do this and, or you shouldn't do this, this is not good, you know? And you're trying to figure out how do I respond to someone who wants to be, you know, around me but probably shouldn't go on the trip with me, Okay? Here's, here's how you need to respond in your mind to them to figure out what you should do. I'm not mature enough to go on this trip with all of you. In other words, I'm gonna get in the car. You, possibly foolish person, want to come with me. I just want you to know I'm not mature enough to go on that trip with you. And you're like, well, Taylor, isn't that kind of like a loophole? Like, it's not about you. I'm not dumping you because it's you. It's really me. It's just, it's all me. And you're sitting there like, no, it's, it's really me, you know? And it's just like, this is not a loophole. It doesn't have to be a loophole, at least. This is you recognizing that you cannot handle everyone that you come eyeball to eyeball with. 
that some people are, are just such a burden, just make such poor decisions that you personally cannot handle it. This is why wise alcoholics don't go to big parties. Because they say internally, they know I'm not mature enough to walk into that party and say no. So I'm not even gonna put myself in that environment. I'm not gonna put myself in an unwise environment. I'm going to say no and walk away because I know I can't be tempted. So when your friends wanna get in the car and they're bringing all the booze with them, they wanna get in the car and they're bringing a whole lot of fireworks. That was a story from my childhood. They wanna bring a whole lot of fireworks. You probably shouldn't have said yes, Taylor, but you did. Anyways, regardless, you, there's a point where you say, listen, you're looking back at all the fireworks. I don't think I'm mature enough to handle this. Because truly, guess what? I'm not. What did Jesus do? Jesus went out and hung out with people like prostitutes, but didn't give in to temptation. Why? Because he was mature enough to do so. But not everybody is. And it's wise to say that you're not. Jesus hung out with tax collectors, yet did not become greedy. And he needed money. It says in scripture how he needed money and he raised money for his ministry. It's not like he needed money, but he said, I can hang out with tax collectors and not skim off the top and not be financially immoral. He ate with sinners. How many times are the Pharisees and the other religious leaders and they're like, he's eating with sinners, he's eating with sinners. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm eating with sinners, but it doesn't mean that I have to sin to do it. Because I, Jesus, am mature enough to do so. I'm the son of God. I can handle it. But not all of us can. And so we have to say, listen, you want to do this thing, but I am telling you, I cannot handle it. And so therefore, the wise thing for me to do is to walk away, to not go on that trip with you. You have to decide who goes on the trip wisely which means you may not invite everybody or you may need to uninvite yourself. Don't try to uninvite somebody else. You may need to uninvite yourself on the trip. And that can be a wise decision to make. If you need to pretend to make it work, if you need to fake it to make it, if you need to tell people, oh yeah, I'm good, and inside you're like, I'm not good. I don't know how your inner voice sounds maybe, but you know, at least apparently mine's like a lot of higher pitch. I don't know. Um, you know, um, if you're faking it to make it, that's not good. You gotta have some checks and balances. If, you would, if, if, your, if your kids were gonna go along with you and so that you wouldn't go on that trip because your kids were along with, then you probably shouldn't go. You know, if your wife were there or your husband were there and you wouldn't do that thing, you wouldn't go on that trip, then you probably shouldn't because you're not mature enough, because you know the temptation is gonna be there. You're gonna be tempted to do that. You're gonna be tempted to buy that. Don't pretend, don't lie to yourself. Be honest, that's wisdom. And saying, I'm gonna make a choice to do something different. And that may mean removing myself from the equation because I just can't handle it. You need to understand that friends, friends, the people around you who are not careful with their lives won't be careful with your life. Friends who aren't careful with their finances, friends who aren't careful with their morality, friends who aren't careful with their choices are not going to be careful when it comes to your morality or your finances. So you may need to step away, and that's not bad. 
That's wisdom. Or another option for you to do is to change it up a little bit. And you may need to add others, new people to the equation, new people to the trip. You mean to add new other, other people that you haven't, you know, maybe engaged in before who could maybe be a, a real blessing in your life. Like Jesus, just saying. Don't want to be too on the nose there, but you know, I mean, it could be Jesus. It could be a very wise man, maybe even a perfect man who needs to be a part of your life, directing your steps. This is the value. This is why we talk about small groups. There's really, if you think about it, there's like nothing in life these days that's comparable to a small group in a healthy church setting. Like what other setting do you go and hang out weekly with people who don't just want something from you, but they wanna go through life with you? They wanna support you. They wanna pray for you. They wanna answer your questions. Or maybe they, want, they have the same question. They wanna figure it out together with you. Deep, meaningful questions. Not just like shallow ones. Not just, you know, like what's happening tomorrow or oh, I got this thing online and this, that, and the other thing. No, no, no. Like things that really matter. Things when it comes to raising your kids. Things that matter when it comes to your finances. Not because they're gonna share it with the whole world, but they just genuinely wanna help. And every week they wanna sit down with you and be in community with you. I think small groups are kind of like, because let's be fair, as much as you wanna decide wisely who's in, you know, in, in, on the trip with you, you can't always choose your coworkers, right? Some of you know that. You can't always choose your family, but you can choose to an extent your small group. And I think like the small group is like this anchor that holds you down in a healthy way in the turmoil of life. In the waves crashing, they just kind of anchor you down and it's like the antithesis of everything else that's going on in the world. They're like an anchor, the body of Christ every week together. In this like short, you know, it's a short trip. Like we go on hour trips all the time. Like, you know, it takes you an hour to go to the grocery store, okay? And so to sit down with a small group of people that care about you for an hour, hour and a half, is that really that bad of a deal? A little short trip surrounding yourself every week with wisdom and support. Sign up, try it. We get to celebrate today, um, we get to celebrate today uh, a baptism. Um, the baptism already happened, just like last week's. Um, so you're gonna get to watch it on the screen. Um, but baptism, for those of you who don't know, is an outward symbol of an inward decision to follow Jesus. Okay, an outward symbol of an inward decision to follow Jesus. And um, I want you to listen to Stacy's story um, because in her story, she talks a lot about the people who are around her. She says things like, you know, every time I saw someone else get baptized. In other words, I saw someone else make a decision and I thought to myself, why, why shouldn't I do that? Shouldn't that be something I do? Other people were influencing her because that's what people do. We influence one another, right? She said, you know, my small group, she was in a small group. She, she joined online. Okay? an opportunity to ask questions, a place to find support. And then I want you, she shares a poem at the end, one of the poems someone in her small group sent her, okay? and, and it describes a situation where you're riding a tandem bike with God. And the relationship, I'm not gonna tell the whole thing, but I wanna make sure it sets up so you understand when it gets there, is, is you are the person steering the tandem bike, and God's there. But the relationship could change. Because you all have a choice to decide wisely who goes on the trip with you. Here, listen to Stacy's story. Hi, I'm Stacy. About 
a year ago, I decided to start going back to church. Um, so I started watching Infuse online because I live out here in North Dakota. So watching online, I was just watching every Sunday. Um, it'd been a few years since I'd been in the church. I grew up in the church, but I stepped away for a while, just not sure where life was taking me or what to do. So last year when I started going back to the church, I just was curious about what a God-centered life looked like. Growing up in the church, I didn't really expand on my knowledge or um, it was just more something I saw as something I had to do versus something I wanted to do. So then about a year ago when I looked at that, it was something I wanted to do. What did it look like to put God at the center, to have God in my life? And that kind of started my journey. So about a year ago, I said that, you know, I wanted to have God in my life and lead a God-filled life with Jesus at the center. Um, and naturally, I kind of knew that baptism came next, but that was a hard step for me because baptism for me had a lot of social pressures of what do I tell people? What does that look like? I was baptized as a child and I didn't know if it was a right move for me to be baptized again. But because I stepped away from the church, I felt that now that I'd accepted Christ back into my life, that baptism was the right move for me. Um, with God in my life, I started facing more struggles and feeling like I wasn't alone. Um, life got harder for me with different relationships and bumps along the way, but I didn't feel like I was alone and I kept feeling like this was where I was supposed to be with God at the center. Uh, last year, I watched both my brothers get baptized and when I listened to their story I was definitely touched because in a lot of ways their similar their story was similar to mine growing up in the church walking away and kind of finding our way back um, each time I watched them get baptized I was filled with a lot of emotion it often led me to to crying uh, that day and just kind of consulting where that emotion was coming from and ultimately I think it was because I was still fighting getting baptized and I was still fighting fully living my life with Christ at the center. Uh, so that emotion, each time I saw someone else get baptized and heard their story just continued me on my path to another big factor in my journey of moving forward with baptism was being a part of women's group. For about a year now I've been involved with women's group and it's just helped me ask a lot of questions. I was with a wonderful group of women who were able to answer those questions about spirit and we worked together to just enhance our spiritual journey and lean on each other when times were hard. And having that opportunity to ask those questions and be supported by um, women who were strong in their faith really helped guide me in my journey as well. And even one time, uh, one poem that one of them sent me really just hit me hard one day. Um, it's called The Road to Life Poem. And it talks about how we're pedaling, how we're constantly trying to pedal this tandem bike and God has been in the back. And then eventually you let him take over and he is in the front of the bike. And when he's leading, he's leading you along this journey and he's taking you different ways and showing you moments that are filled with joy instead of just getting from one location to the next. And uh, one stanza from the poem, it said, I did not trust him at first in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it, but he knows by its secrets, knows how to make it bend to take sharp corners, knows how to jump to clear high rocks, knows how to fly to short and scary passages. And I'm learning to shut up and pedal and in the strangest places. And I'm beginning to enjoy the view and cool breeze on my face. 
with my delightful constant companion, Jesus Christ. And when I'm sure I just can't do it anymore, he just smiles and says, pedal. And I think that's a big, uh, that's a way to define my journey in a way because I keep trying to take control. And when I've learned that when I give up control and let him lead and he tells me to pedal and that's allowed me to just continue this journey and led me to baptism. And I'm excited to see what steps I have going forward in my spiritual journey. Really appreciative of being in women's group as we continue to talk and move forward in our spiritual journey and I've just been grateful for being surrounded by family and friends who have continued to push me like my brothers and my mom and my sister and and Pastor Taylor and everybody who just continues to guide me and um, also let me fumble at the same time through this journey and I have decided to follow Jesus. The choice is really up to each of us. We each have a decision to make. That's, that's a great thing that I think, <clears throat> sorry, this is what happens at three and a half hours of sleep. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's the really great part of God's love is he gives us a choice. That if you've ever felt pressured into church or Christianity, that, that's really just Christians, okay? That's just like our failing, okay? But when it comes to God, he is all about giving you a choice, um, when it comes to, you know, uh, choosing who gets to go along with you on that trip. And, and honestly, he wants to be on that trip with you. He wants to go on that journey with you. He wants to be there for you now and forever. And there are also a small group of people who want to go on that journey with you too. Uh, and that's the really cool thing about uh, Stacy and Liz both. Last week we heard from Liz, they were in the same group. So quite a powerhouse group, I'd say. Um, and so there's people who want to help you and process and journey with you in that. But the decision is ultimately up to you. If you would, bow your heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you uh, for Liz last week and Stacy this week uh, and their faith, not courage, um, you know, not boldness, uh, but their faith to publicly talk about their relationship with you, to publicly talk about how you want to walk with us. You want to literally be in our hearts, fill our hearts and our soul with your life, your love, so that we walk forward or maybe we pedal forward in a different way. All of life is a journey and you did not create it to happen alone. And that we have the amazing ability, the amazing choice, the amazing decision to trust you, to walk with you and to trust people around us. Trust those around us in the church and in small groups and those who want to walk with us, to walk wisely with us to bring us goodness and love and patience and grace and forgiveness, everything that you have given us. So Lord, help us all, wherever we are, regardless of how long we've been following you or if we're still trying to wrestle with what it means to follow you, help us all to come to terms with the love you have for us and the truth that we are not alone and we don't have to be alone and we get to walk with you. In your name I pray. Amen. <laughs>